Well, here we are. <laughs> the day after. I don't know the day after what, uh, but I can think a number of times now of post-election dividing line webcasts where there was there was just a lot to think about and a lot that had been revealed. I, I honestly think that the main thing that we saw yesterday, well, okay, let, let me just say, there are still, <laughs> I, I can't fully explain it, but I live in a state that can't do what Florida can do. According to our elected officials, it's because of our legislature uh, and the uh, system that has been put into place in regards to early balloting and mail-in ballots and all this stuff that just makes it impossible to have any get it get it done. And I was just listening to really it's the primary local news station now. Is KFYI still around? It is? Okay. Um I mean I don't listen to them very often, but I actually I <laughs> I was sitting in line in my truck and I'm going, okay, how does the radio work? <laughs> um, hmm. Haven't, I just, I don't use it very often. And so, uh, I, I finally tracked him down. It was a long process of <laughs> radio. What a terrestrial radio. What a, what a fascinating concept it is. Anyway. Um, and they were basically saying that, Friday evening, maybe Saturday at the latest. Uh, and there's still, I think they had said like 400,000 votes or something sitting out there that haven't been counted yet. Um, so we don't know for certain. I- I'm I'm with you. The longer it takes, the more time there is for mischief to be done. I get it. You know, uh, you got all the time you need to print all the ballots you need and are there people that would do that? Yep. No, no, no question about it. But that's where we are. And I assume, at least right now, uh, as somebody said, you, you couldn't throw a dead cat without hitting a lawyer in, in Maricopa County right now. So uh, I, I would assume there are so many eyes on that, you know, you just, you just, you just hope for the best. You just hope for the best. And right now they're saying things are trending in a in a direction that, let's just put it this way, uh, if things go well here in Arizona, I could see another four years of at least some level of freedom to worship and evangelize and do things like that. I don't want to become California. I, I do not want us to become California. The problem is... As everybody knows, people flee California because of its idiocy, and they come here to Arizona, and they bring their the idiocy that they fled from with them here, and that's why I know a lot of people who've lived here in Arizona for decades that really, 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 really don't like the people who've moved here in the past 10 years, bringing their leftist insanity with them. Anyway... Um, so things are, are not settled yet. We don't know what the final outcome of all these things is going to be. But we do know um, that a man who cannot 
put two coherent sentences together, uh, but has, before his stroke, um, said that, you know, all drugs should be legal, pretty much everybody should be let out of prison, get rid of the filibuster in the Senate, um, you know, pro every kind of sexual debauchery on the planet. Uh, We do know that um, that man will be in the United States Senate, um, which just makes the entire country go, what has happened to us? There, There was a time in my lifetime when that would not have happened. In fact, there was a time in my lifetime when a... Uh, a political party would have been utterly embarrassed to have even run a man in the condition of soon-to-be Senator Fetterman. Um, but not now, because everybody knows he, like Joe Biden, is a placeholder. You're, you're voting now for um, policies, not individuals who actually have the capacity to reason, argue, express themselves, uh, things like that. Um, Now, obviously, in many of these situations, um, the people that were running on the non-leftist side weren't overly impressive. Uh, But still, it is astonishing that someone could cast those votes. But all of that aside, California and Vermont passed bills. I guess I'm not sure they'd be called bills technically, but it depends on state to state. Enshrining in law the culture of death. Enshrining in law the right to murder an unborn child up to the point of birth. And they did so because of the Dobbs decision. And what we are seeing, I don't know if you've seen the the numbers, but the 18 to 29-year-old demographic is so hard left that you might as well just call them the, the communists. Gen Z is... Fully secular. Um, they are the they are exactly what the educational system has been seeking to produce for decades now. This was this was the uh, the goal, and it has been accomplished. And as the rest of us who have grown up and become adults die off, these folks who don't grow up. And don't know what an adult is. They've not had adults in their lives. These are these are the young TikTok teachers that we see promoting uh, every kind of sexual debauchery to their students, coming out to their students. These are the parents that we see taking their young children to drag queen story hour. These are the parents that we see sitting there laughing as their five-year-old stares in astonishment at some ghastly-looking drag queen spreading his legs in front of them 
uh, at, at, in, in a public place. And they think it's just awesome. And now they're voting. And shockingly, they're voting to end civilization. Uh, and freedom. And liberty. And mainly because they don't want freedom and liberty. They want to be told what to do. They want to be controlled. Um, they are statists to the max. I forgot to pull it up. Drat. Who was? Oh, wait a minute. I can find it because I retweeted it. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping at the very least that before long there will be a, um, yeah, there it is. Some more improve, improvements to Twitter. Um, that would be pretty cool. But um, let me see if I can, uh, yeah, yeah, you got this? Yeah, I don't know if you saw this, but a video came out of North Korea. If you want to see unbridled statism, what does, what does, the enshrinement of the state as our father and our mother, uh, what is the end result of quote-unquote progressivism, which is obviously regressivism, uh, but this, the, the reality that the young people in our nation believe that every problem, the answer to every problem is to be found in the state. You go to the government. Um, you, you, you go to somebody else. You, you run to mommy. And mommy is the government. And the result of that is what you, what you see in our legislatures, both on the state and federal level, they're constantly passing laws. And most of us go, well, why else would they be there? <laughs> and there's the problem. That wasn't how things were designed at first. The, you know, we've all heard the statement over and over again, and, and, and the guy's not inspired, so it's... But Adams, John Adams, said that the, the Constitution was designed for a religious and moral people. It is thoroughly inadequate for, for any other kind of people. We are not a religious and moral people. We are an anti-religious, anti-moral people. And he meant religious as in Christian. And so the hatred expressed by our society of God's law, the hatred that the left shows toward the fact of the humanity of the preborn child, and that's what they that's exactly what they express. They hate the fact that on any level we're talking about a human being, a unique, genetically unique, we now know. Exactly why. Never to be repeated. Unique individual is developing in that womb. We know this, and our society hates it. It's a culture of death. It's a culture of death. And once that becomes associated with statism, the rejection of all that's good from God, his law, you've got to have something else. There's, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, and so... In flies the state. And I don't know if you all saw this, but this is a video coming out of North Korea. Now, North Korea is a cult. It is a cult the size of a nation. 
and it is a a cult that worships a family. And anyone who questions that family, questions that state, it just simply disappears. This is a nation filled with people living on the edge of starvation. It is one of the most evil, dark places on the planet. And it is the greatest example of what the state is. China's right there. Xi Jinping, right there. But North Korea doesn't have the class to cover things over to try to make it look like they might fit into the global community. And so here is a recent video that came out all of a minute long, and I have no translation. (laughs) Sorry. But um, here is is statism as, as it expresses itself. There is your there is statism and it, and it will it, that, was that not a religious gathering? Um, let me guarantee you something. Remember that picture from World War II, where there's that one guy. Everybody else is doing the salute, and there's that one guy, and I think we actually know who the guy guy was. Um, you're not going to find that guy in there. Uh, there's not going to be every. There may be people in that room in those uniforms that don't want to be clapping, that know that this is all just insanity, but they're clapping because if you're the one guy not clapping, you'll never be seen again. I've heard it said, and I don't doubt it, that he has actually executed some people using anti-aircraft guns, you know? You put them out there, and then you hit them with an anti-aircraft gun. Just obliterates them. You know, wood chipper type stuff. Um, so, you know, there there is zero respect for life. This is the worst example that we can give you of what statism is. And we have a young cohort in our in our culture, they are statists. That's all they are. They're, they're statists. They look to the government for everything. And so when the government says, democracy is under attack and freedom, and they just get to redefine all the words. They, they redefine all the words. 
and they, they, they're not educated. They're indoctrinated. They haven't been taught how to think critically in, in any way, shape, or form. And now they vote. And if they had not voted in this election, then the reality that people are sick and tired of being sick and tired, they recognize the incompetence of the current regime, they recognize that the direction is all wrong, Um, there could have been a correction, but there won't be. Now, let's say, let's say it works out to where um, minimally the House is Republican. Let's say they, they get the Senate as well. You, you still got Biden in the presidency, so you still got the veto power. So there, people have to recognize that even if you tap the brakes, in two years you got to push harder or nothing's accomplished. And so what we, what we saw last night is simply the, the continuing reality of the worldview rot that rebellion has brought to the United States. This nation designed its system of laws based upon a Christian consensus. There is no question of that. The law was based upon God's word. There were constant quotations from Scripture. The worldview that gave rise to innocent until proven guilty and all of the freedoms that we have Generations before, not the current generation, to be honest with you, uh, have cherished and recognized were special. Um, all that has been repudiated. And yet people are so foolish, they think they can still have the benefits without the foundation, and it can't happen. And so the states of California, Vermont, giving open vent and expression to this hatred of God's truth. Once again, I've, I've, I've been saying this for decades, but it, it only gets truer as time goes on. We know more about the humanity of the unborn child today than we've ever known before. And so the sinfulness, the depravity, the evil of what California and Vermont did, look, Let's just be honest. If God did the fire and brimstone thing, is there anyone who say, could say, you're wrong to do that? If he's done it in the past, Sodom and Gomorrah, what, 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 what excuse can be made? Now, I, I realize the vast majority of people don't, don't actually believe that God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. The vast majority of People who call themselves Christians today don't actually believe that actually took place. Jesus did, but hey, he was just a man of his day, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, progressivism, what can I say? So, I don't know what we were expecting. I think a lot of us were like, well, it's just such common sense. The, the, these people are driving us into the ground. They're destroying our nation. Isn't it obvious? Well, it may be to some of us, but obviously to a sizable number of people, it's like, nope. And they're the ones, they don't know where their freedoms came from. They don't know where this economy came from. 
it just, you know, they don't know anything about history. They haven't been taught anything about history. They don't even know where to look. And so they're easily controlled. They're just, they're just very, very easily controlled. And uh, what's going to happen between now and 2024? It's going to change any of that. And I can guarantee, I, I, I'll give you my, my personal take. <laughs> Whoever runs for the presidency of the United States in 2024, if they are not a person who can enunciate clear and consistent worldview values, they will accomplish nothing, even if they win from the Republican side. That should tell you everything you need to know right there. Because there are very few Republicans who have any worldview capacity at all. Any understanding. And what we're dealing with today is a worldview crisis. It is the fundamental assertions of secularism that cannot coexist with the American form of government. This government is done for unless there is a massive, massive change. Because when Adam said what he said, he was recognizing the fact that the freedom and liberty granted by the U.S. Constitution assumes the self-regulation of the behavior of the citizens based upon morality and ethics found in the Christian faith. And once that is repudiated and rejected, as it has been, the very foundation of freedom and liberty is gone. You cannot have a free people that are not self-disciplined. And every time you see one of these wackos, one of these evil sexual perverts prancing around on on stage, oh, and then we had... It was all over the place, but I I probably won't find it now. But I don't know if you saw it today. But we have the uh, beauty pageant. Um, and you have, and I, I don't think I don't think I retweeted it or anything, so I can't go to it. So I won't be able to pull it up here. Um, but you had there it is, ding 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 ding. Sorry, I found it. <laughs> really, literally, sorry, I found it. Um, I don't know. Uh, that's not going to do anything for me. I don't know how to get that thing. Uh, that's close as I can get. Um. I don't know if you saw this, but here are some pretty young ladies and some pretty young ladies and a dude in a dress who is neither pretty, is revolting, ugly, um, and it won. What, what, what can you even say? What, what, what is there to say? I I don't even it, it, it's uh, uh, yeah there you go that's um 
that's where we are. That's where we are today. That's where this nation is. Doesn't know what beauty is. Destroying God's standards, right, left, and center. And uh, so, yeah, there you go. Um, so, I don't know what we were expecting. Uh, when I see, you know, there's certain things that would start to give an indication to me of a major work of the Spirit of God in our society. And uh, Chocolate Knox on Twitter this morning said um, what... Now, I haven't heard uh, Doug's new blog post. A, a, a new blog post just came up. Even in the best-case scenario, it is very hard to escape the conclusion that our country is broken. That's the bad news. The good news is we might finally be in a position to admit that our country is broken. <laughs> well, it, it's... Um, yeah, it, it's not... It, it, yeah, It's not just broken. But I did respond to Chocolate Knox. And I said to him, uh, there it is. He said, um, he was responding to an Action Idaho tweet that said, if the GOP cannot win in this environment, they cannot win, period. The Dem mode of governance has been a disaster. Inflation, trannies, sexualization, crime, CRT, COVID, madness, people favoring GOP positions on a host of hot issues, still a non-victory. Big problem. Chocolate Knox's response was, dead men can't see. Our political bankruptcy is due to our being dead. We need the work of the Spirit to make us alive first. There will be no political sufficiency apart from regeneration. We need life. What have I been saying for for years? And what have I been saying in regards to Christian nationalism? You have to you have to have something's got to change in the hearts and minds of a bunch of people. It's easy to sit here and say the gospel's the answer. Yeah, it is. But the gospel is made alive by the spirit of God in the hearts and minds of people. And all the politicians and all of the polls and all of the clear, obvious reality that over the past two years, our nation has been fundamentally dragged into the pit purposefully by our enemies who are in charge. Didn't really change much. Oh, you got Florida. (laughs) Okay. Hey, I'm glad that Miami-Dade, I'm glad... That, that places that are 70% Hispanic are going, th- this is stupid. <laughs> we're, th- th- we're not helping ourselves here. Let's, let's vote for the people that will actually do something. I, that's great. Wonderful. I, 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 you know what would be wonderful? You know what would be really super duper? Is if these millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of illegal aliens that have been purposefully brought in the United States illegally by the regime. There's no question about the fact that's what we're doing. We're to get here and go, hey, you know, we uh, really like it here, but we realize um, if we keep doing it the way those guys are doing it, 
And this is going to turn into the same place we came from. So let's do something else. Let's let's actually try to keep this place. Whoa! <laughs> Wouldn't that be a, a whopper of a change? Um, it could happen, I suppose. You know, you, you never know. But if the spirit doesn't isn't involved, all the politics in the world <sighs> going away. Um, so I, in talking to some folks last night, uh, the issue of Matt Walsh came up, and I had a bunch of nasty people taking shots at me because I I made a comment. Matt Walsh, hey, give the guy credit, okay? As a Roman Catholic, he seems to be pretty much fearless um, in doing as much as his Roman Catholic natural theology type thing can allow him to do. This has always been the problem. And I I made reference to the fact that if you, you know, once in a while I'll tune into Catholic Answers Live and, and they'll be taking phone calls and an atheist will call in. And I, I listen to the conversation and I'm always struck by how completely different the conversation I, I have with an atheist is from the conversation they have. At best, they're limited to the idea of the existence of God as a probability. And the natural law argumentation that is the hooty-tooty-snooty stuff in Ivy League schools um, simply isn't biblical. It, it doesn't... It, it It's embarrassed by the claims of Christ. Okay? And when Matt Walsh is on with Joe Rogan, his defense of marriage is all natural law stuff. Not, well, Jesus said. <laughs> and, you know, Matt Walsh like, yeah, but there are people who don't believe the Bible. Yeah, but Jesus said. And as soon as you go, well, there are people who don't believe the Bible, what you're saying is, okay, and I will grant them their rebellion. And if you're thinking the only way to change your mind is to trick them, then that's what you're going to do. But you see that the natural law argument has no place to the Spirit of God to bring conviction. And so when even Jesus has said from the beginning, male and female, well, that's what the Bible says. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. That's the best you've got. And if you're embarrassed by that, okay. And so I had, I had raised that that issue, and there were people popping off. And I'm I'm sure if I went back, and I I rarely do, but I'm sure if I went back, there'd be all sorts of interesting comments that we could look at. And I saw some stuff today that I thought, well, we could cover that on the dividing line. We could cover that on the dividing line, and you know, I didn't didn't get around to it. Um, but. It was interesting because at at some point I basically said, you know, I, I, I pointed out consistent reformed apologetics, presuppositional apologetics, uh, would have a very different approach in, in, in responding to these types of, of things. And I had various people respond to that. 
And in, in the process, I said, you know, it, it seems like there's a need to uh, revisit some aspects of presuppositional apologetics because I don't think they're well understood. And I got thinking about it, and so I looked up um, on YouTube, and we only, you only have till tomorrow, so let me get this out here right now. Eli didn't ask me to do this, but Eli Ayala with Revealed Apologetics is doing a uh, epic presuppositional thing on Saturday, the 12th. Um, I know Jason Lyle's going to be joining him and, and some other people, and it's going to be hours on end. Um, and so my understanding is to be a part of it, you need to sign up for it by tomorrow evening. So if you go to Revealed Apologetics on YouTube, just put in Revealed Apologetics, you'll find um, Eli's stuff there. And I'd subscribe to his channel, and then you should be able to get the information on what they're going to be doing this Saturday on presuppositional apologetics. And I'm sure it'll be really, really good. And this morning while I was writing, I listened to a uh, little book study that Eli did. Uh, on Van Til and the use of evidences. And uh, he held this up and said, I have no idea where to find this. <laughs> I It was interesting because I went on, uh, he even live went on to uh, Amazon, wasn't available. I found one uh, for 45 bucks on Amazon. Maybe somebody saw that and said, hey, I can make some money. Because my copy cost three dollars and seventy-five. Whoa, hello, three dollars and seventy-five cents uh, for my copy, and it's not a big book, as you can see. And uh, this one was from Presbyterian Reformed back in, I believe, nineteen uh, nineteen eighty is the uh, the date on this. Tom Notaro uh, wrote this, and he just did. Uh, Eli did the first chapter, just a few pages. And um, so I listened to that while I was while I was doing part of my ride today, but it reminded me of, of a lot of stuff in regards to the idea of evidence and apologetics. And so, before I'm just watching my time here, before we look at um, the subject. To conclude the hour, uh, taking us back to sufficiency of scriptures and stuff, I want to just read a couple sections from the Defense of the Faith by Cornelius Van Til. As you probably are aware, there are all sorts of interpreters of Van Til. Bonson is considered the most, well, he's, he's the most widely read, but Frame, Oliphant, uh, they've all written on Van Til and his his methodology. And if you if any of you caught my presentation at ReformCon last week, week before last, I just focused on some introductory comments that Van Til made that demonstrates that his his whole purpose in developing his apologetic was to do evangelism. I mean, he was a he was not a pie in the sky philosopher sitting in his tower 
looking to be admired by the other philosophers uh, as they uh, did their thing. That that's that's not what Van Til was about. It was very much how can we reach a secularizing world, and that's why I think this is so 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 important because so much of the apologetics of the past was developed within a Christian culture context where they're already given presuppositions and assumptions in place, and those are gone now. And so the apologetic methodologies that were developed at a different time just don't work now because <laughs> those, those assumptions aren't there. Um, but he wants people to know the gospel, and he wants us to be able to present the gospel without compromising Christ in the process. And the danger is when you're dealing with people who've been taught their own autonomy, they, they, they have been taught that they're nothing but a cosmic accident. That's the first problem. But because they're nothing but a cosmic accident, then they are autonomous. There's nothing um, above them. There is nothing to which they have to um, show any kind of you know, recognition, shall we say, of authority. We don't have to bow the knee to, to anybody else. We are nothing and everything at the same time. We, we, we're nothing because we're an accident, and when we die, that's it. But we're the center of all things. We're autonomous. We have to make sense of everything, and we can't function that way. So the, the chaos that you see around us, Christ or chaos? Why is it Christ or chaos? Two reasons. Christ is the creator. He is the one in the center that makes sense of everything else. And when he's not in the center, we get sucked into that vacuum. And the result's chaos because you and I can't function that way. We are insufficient to have true knowledge of all fields around us. We have to be out here, the triune gods in the center, as we know him, then we can have true knowledge of everything else, history and ethics and love and science and and everything. But it's only as we relate to the triune God who is in the center. And this was the genius of Van Til and I think very consistent with Calvin. Now, Calvin's not working with a secular system. But when you apply Calvin's theology, I think if Calvin were alive alive today, he would look at Van Til and his concerns and go, yeah, that's what I I meant. That's what I was saying. So, um, I I look back at these books, and uh, I'm not sure if I put a... Wow, I didn't even... That's interesting. Normally, I would sign my books, and I eventually got a little bookmarky thingy, you know, imprint thing, uh, but I didn't on these. Um, this would have been late 80s, I think, when I got this one. And what's interesting is, in the defense of the faith, um, there is... All sorts of neat stuff in here that we could spend a lot of time. You know, uh, I I just happened to to look here, and he's quoting Warfield. With respect to the ontological trinity, I try to follow Calvin in stressing that there is no subordination of essence as between the three persons. 
As Warfield points out when speaking of Calvin's doctrine of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Spirit is, is each this one God, the entire divine essence being in each. Um, this goes back to um, Calvin's emphasis upon the Son as autotheos, um, which is a departure from post-Nicene speculative theology, or some people would call post-Nicene orthodoxy, but it's post-Nicene speculative theology um, that has the, the Father communicating the essence to the Son and through the Son to the Spirit. And Calvin recognized that that had bad juju all over it. Anyway, um, there's all sorts of things we could... Uh, yeah, you can sort of see the markings. They're not as bright as they used to be because the yellow marker is probably uh, coming up on 35 years uh, old. But what's interesting is right before he gets to a section on apologetics, the the sections that Van Til deals with are Christ and his work and for whom did Christ die? So for whom did Christ die is the section right before apologetics. Fascinating. Um, he see, why, is, why is it fascinating? He sees that your apologetic methodology flows from your theology and not the other way around. You don't amend your theology to, to fit an apologetic methodology that you stumble across and go, hey, that worked pretty good. No, it, it's it's the opposite. And so, um, let me just read some of this. I'm not sure how far I'll get, but there's some really important stuff here. Coming now to a brief statement of the method of defense that I use the propagation of what I believe and how it differs from the traditional method, I may note first that you have not, for all the length of your article, anywhere given a connected picture of my argument, yet you at once characterize it in contrast with your own as being negative and universal. Without the least bit of qualification, I am said to deny that there is common ground of reasoning between those who accept Christian presuppositions and engage in the spread of the gospel and those who do not accept Christian presuppositions and reject the gospel. The facts are far otherwise. That's, that's, that, that's Van Til saying, if you say that I don't believe there's common ground, you're wrong. Now, but you've heard, you've heard it said over and over again. Van Til says there is no neutral ground. Right, there is no neutral ground. There is no neutrality. But there is common ground. And in case you're wondering, the common ground is the fact they're all made in the image of God. I am, to be sure, opposed to the traditional method of apologetics as this has found its most fundamental expression in the Summa of Thomas Aquinas, the Roman Catholic, and in Bishop Butler, the Arminian. I seek to oppose Roman Catholicism and Arminianism in apologetics as I seek to oppose it in theology. Oh, your apologetic methodology flows from your theology. Oh. Does that make my main thesis universally negative? I think there is a better and more truly biblical way. Biblical. It's even capitalized. <laughs> well, no wonder... All of our new Thomas are former Vantillians. <clears throat> there is a better and more truly biblical way of reasoning with and winning unbelievers than the Romanist Arminian method permits. Now notice, 
Romanist Armenian uh, that have now been put together. To begin, to begin with, then, I take what the Bible says about God and his relation to the universe as unquestionably true on its own authority. The Bible requires men to believe that he exists apart from and above the world, and that he, by his plan, controls whatever takes place in the world. Everything in the created universe, therefore, displays the fact that it is controlled by God, that it is what it is by virtue of the place that it occupies in the plan of God. Do you, do you see something here? What's he contrasting this against? Romanist-Arminian method. And I can't help but think back. When was that? Uh, it was 15 years at least ago. Um, I had been invited to a local church here. And I, I, met, I think I gave a presentation on Mormonism, something like that. Long story short, it was uh, when we were still going up to Salt Lake City. And what it boiled down to was folks from this particular church that I had spoken at really couldn't come with us because of the literature we were passing out. And the literature we were passing out emphasized the sovereignty of God, which, of course, Mormons reject. But then again, so did they. And my conversation with the pastor was, you know, this is Erasmus and Luther. This is back to freedom and bondage of the will. But it really goes to something even deeper than that. And, and that is, is there a divine decree? And in our days, you look at the provisionists, there's no divine decree. Um, vast majority of, of Arminians, there's no divine decree. What Van Til is saying is, if there is no divine decree, then you have abandoned the very matrix and fabric that allows the Christian to say that everything that is is what it is because God made it to be as it is to function in the way it's functioning. God has a purpose in that. And so, you know, the question is often asked, can a non-reformed person be a presuppositionalist? And I have seen non-reformed people try to borrow certain elements of presuppositional argumentation. It's not consistent. They're not being consistent. They may see that it works in a certain sense, but it's not consistent with theology. And so here you have the very sovereignty of God as an element of the apologetic. Uh, everything in the created universe, therefore, displays the fact that it is controlled by God, that it is what it is by virtue of the place it occupies in the plan of God. The objective evidence of the existence of God and of the comprehensive governance of the world by God is therefore so plain that he who runs may read. Men cannot get away from this evidence. They see it round about them. They see it within them. Their own constitution so clearly evinces the facts of God's creation of them and control over them that there is no man who can possibly escape observing it. If he is self-conscious at all, he is also God-conscious. 
No matter how men may try, they cannot hide from themselves the fact of their own createdness. Whether men engage in inductive study with respect to the facts of nature about them or engage in analysis of their own self-consciousness, they are always face-to-face with God, their Maker. Calvin stresses these matters greatly on the basis of Paul's teachings in Romans. And he does. And he does. There is so much there that we could go for, but I wanted to get to this. Um, This is on page 197, by the way. That was 195. If you have this edition, the PNR edition of Defense of Faith. I can't imagine it's changed much, but it has been decades since I bought this. The first and most basic point on which my approach differs from the traditional one is therefore that, A, I start more frankly from the Bible as the source from which, as an absolutely authoritative revelation, I take my whole interpretation of life. Roman Catholicism also appeals to Scripture, but in practice makes its authority void. Its final appeal is to the Church. Huh. What's my phrase to that? Sola Ecclesia. Its final appeal is to the Church, and that is, in effect, to human experience. Even Arminianism rejects certain scriptural doctrines, such as election, because it cannot logically harmonize them with the general offer of salvation. I stress the objective clarity of God's revelation of himself wherever it appears. Both Thomas Aquinas and Butler contend that men have done justice by the evidence if they conclude that God probably exists. I have discussed the views of Aquinas in the Infallible Word and those of Butler in the Syllabus of Evidences. I consider this a compromise of simple and fundamental biblical truth. It is an insult to living God to say that his revelation of himself so lacks in clarity that man, himself, through and through a revelation of God, does justice by it when he says that God probably exists. The argument for the existence of God and for the truth of Christianity is objectively valid We should not tone down the validity of this argument to the probability level. The argument may be poorly stated and may never be adequately stated, but in itself the argument is absolutely sound. Christianity is the only reasonable position to hold. It is not merely as reasonable as other positions or a bit more reasonable than other positions. It alone is the natural and reasonable position for man to take. By stating the argument as clearly as we can... We may be the agents of the Holy Spirit in pressing the claims of God upon men. If we drop to the level of the merely probable truthfulness of Christian theism, we, to that extent, lower the claims of God upon men. Accordingly, I do not reject the theistic proofs. Now, Dr. Bonson did, but Van Til did not. Accordingly, I do not reject the theistic proofs, but merely insist on formulating them in such a way as not to compromise the doctrines of Scripture. So, when I debated Dan Barker, University of Illinois, did I present evidence? I did, but how did I do it? I started off by saying, before I presented the evidence, for example, of design, so plainly found, in the mitochondria of all of our cells, I said, I'm not inviting you to sit in judgment over the creator who made these things. I am presenting you this this evidence to demonstrate the inconsistency 
of your rejection of the God you already know exists. And so, as I said on Twitter yesterday, the issue, you know, even Van Til says, in his own writings, even Van Til says, I'm not against theistic proofs. It's how you formulate them and what you're doing with them. If you formulate them as if there is a um, naturalistic, neutral mechanism of looking at the world that doesn't start with God, then I'm going to reject that. And we don't have time to go into it today, but if you go back, and I don't, I don't know the searcher bring this up, but many times over the years, I have pointed out that the best, uh, the best formulation of the cosmological argument that I've ever seen was in a book, an intro book on philo- uh, philosophy by uh, Rowe, R-O-W-E. And the conclusion of that particular article was this would be a valid argument if we could demonstrate that its foundation is universally binding and what did he identify as its foundation. It's called PSR, the Principle of Sufficient Reason. And the Principle of Sufficient Reason is where you've got a connection between what he's talking about and what Van Til's talking about. Uh, the grounding of PSR is in the created world that God made. So there's you see you see the connection there. Um, but his point, obviously, is that when you when you make up your your argument, when you let's say you have a form of the cosmological argument you want to use. Are you presenting it to the rebel sinner as if you are approving of the fact that they have climbed their little tushy up onto the throne, the judgment seat, and they are pretending that they have the capacity to judge whether they are pots or not? If you present yourself in such a way that you are encouraging their belief in their own autonomy. There's the issue. There's the problem. And that's a theological problem, because many of you have a theology of the gospel that starts with the fact that they are autonomous. And that God cannot take out their heart of stone. Their heart of stone has to be convinced to leave on its own. (laughs) It's kind of foolishness. That's why I say, you know, when I hear uh, non-reformed guys trying to borrow transcendental argumentation from the presuppositional system, I just chuckle. It's like, keep going, guys. <laughs> keep going. You'll, you'll figure out what, what, what's behind this, you know. Way to go. But they're being inconsistent. They're being inconsistent. And you want to have your theology... And you're apologetic, communicating the same thing. And that's what Van Til is helping us to try to do. And that's why when people, you know, what did I do with it? Oh, 
Van Til and the use of evidence. There are people that you can't use evidence, you're a Van Tilian. No. The whole point of Van Til is everything, if it exists, is evidence of God. Because it came from his hand. But you don't sit there and put man in the judgment seat and say to him, here, let me give you some more evidence. Now will you believe? Because he's already holding down. Kata Kantone, Romans 1, suppressing the knowledge of God. He's holding it down with all he can already. So you give him some more, and he just makes a little room and holds that down too. What you've got to do is you've got to start prying those fingers up by showing him the inconsistency of the fact he lives in God's world. He's stealing from God to hold his worldview together. And you hope and pray that the Spirit of God will use that. And and that's where I think some people were going, yeah, but, you know, Joe Rogan already figures that, you know, it's just your religious belief. Well, Joe Rogan needs to be, Joe Rogan needs to be shown that his worldview has to have a foundation as well. And he's stealing from the Christian God to hold his worldview together. He's made in the image of God. Appeal to it. Appeal to it. That's, that's what Van Til's saying. And that's, I think, what we have to be doing as well. Yes, sir, you, uh, you seemed interested in... I'm having a that. thought. Um, it, it strikes me, a question that I've asked my Sunday school class, uh, do, do you believe in God? And, of course, everybody's like, well, yeah. Well, then why don't you talk like it? <laughs> yeah. Because if you, it, it, again, it's back to that worldview perspective. It comes out of your mouth. And if you're entertaining any of these ideas about probabilities or neutrality or any of these things, you're undermining the thing you say you profess to believe. You're undermining it. It's not there. So if, if you believe in God, talk like it. If you believe in Christ, live like it. If you believe salvation, if you believe in the five solas, then where is your worldview that comes out of your mouth and is in your life that actually reflects that? It's it's not there. You're out here living like the world lives with a religious veneer. And, and that's what drives, I think, both of us crazy when we try to communicate with these people. It's like you... You don't understand what we're saying. We're saying you're not living like that which you say you believe. It's just that simple. Well, and the lost person cannot live consistently with their rejection of the knowledge of God because they live in God's world, and therefore there's going to be inconsistencies, and so it's the the internal critique that reveals these things. But, like I said, there was the, the, the article the third article from Baptist Dogmatics, but all of my time for that was taken up by Rich's sermon. So um, I'm sorry we were going to get that today, but, you know, I need to let, you know, I could tell that you could see the pressure, you know, building up in the little teapot in the other room. And so you just don't want it exploding or anything like that. (laughs) 
<sighs> anyway. So, uh, like I said, uh, go to Revealed Apologetics on YouTube. Um, Eli Ayala. Um, Saturday, if you want a whole bunch more of all of this, um, like I said, Jason Lyle is going to be one of the folks uh, uh, that's going to be on that. I don't have the whole thing in front of me. And um, it's going to go for like four hours or something like that. So um, if you really want to dive into that, there is so much and it's so useful. And there's so much misrepresentation of Van Til out there. Um, and so many former Van Tillians today who have discovered the, the great light of Thomas Aquinas. And I just want to go, that's because you never understood what you were talking about in the first place, huh? Yeah, um, that's, that's definitely the, the case. So uh, I think, however, that Eli and I are the only two people left with, with a copy of this book. And I don't know how I found this today. I generally I have an idea because the one the one failure ever we've been here since 06 so 16 years and I've I've bought the little scanner thing I I I've tried to do some organizing of my library but just to be honest with you I just sort of know where things are because I've seen them there before but I didn't know what this looked like and so I don't know how many Thousands and thousands of volumes are in my library, but trying to find that, <laughs> especially as your eyes ain't what they used to be, um, I found it. it it's it, and it wasn't really near what would have helped me with that. But I think Eli and I are the only two people left on the, on the earth that have that little that little book. So um, anyway, so there you go. All right, we will uh, press on uh, next. Um, um, like I said. Got a church function this weekend. It's going to be sort of unusual because Nani and I, my wife and I, her name's not Nani, but for the grandkids it is, um, are taking two of our five grandkids with us uh, up north to a uh, uh, church function. And I think that's the first time we've done that. Um, And so uh, another of the families contacted us and one of the, is the music already going? Oh, I was just going to say, one, one of the young young guys, uh, I think he broke some bones in his foot or something like that. And so he's asked, am I going to bring a chess set and my, and my uh, uh, telescope? <laughs> so I was thinking about bringing the chess set anyways. Uh, but now I've got to figure out how to get the, the telescope in the back of my truck and keep it in one piece uh, and get it up there. Um, and in fact, I think I'll probably bring the solar scope too. If I'm going to bring all that stuff, I might as well. Um, and um, hopefully, we'll have some clear skies and and uh, do some fun stuff for up up there. So we're going to be doing the grandma and grandpa thing. Well, I do the grandpa thing. She does the naughty thing. She's not into the grandma terminology. So whatever. Um, but we'll be doing that this weekend. So uh, Lord willing, uh, next week we'll be back at it. We'll have that week. And then the week after that is Thanksgiving. And the day after Thanksgiving, I head out. And we're going to be going to St. Charles, to uh, Jonesboro, uh, to Emory, uh, Lubbock, and now Amarillo. I've added a church um, toward the end of that trip. So there's going to be five churches we're going to be visiting on uh, on this particular trip. And... Um, I'm just going to enjoy it immensely 
because I just don't know how long we're going to be able to do this. But as long as God's people make it available, I'm going to enjoy getting out there. And uh, so we'll give you some more information next week about the specifics on those dates. I've got the dates, but, you know, like addresses and stuff like that. And uh, so we'll be heading out uh, the day after Thanksgiving. So prayers for safe travel. Thanks for listening to the program today. We'll see you next time. God bless.